are looking at Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 30, uh, in which, after committing healings and saving people, Jesus is accused of being mad by his family and of being the devil by religious teachers. And in response to this, Jesus says something that's very unsettling. He says that to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. That's Mark chapter 3, verse 28 to 30. He says... I assure you that people can be forgiven all their sins and all the evil things that they may say. But whoever says evil things against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven because he has committed an eternal sin. So uh, probably one of the scariest passages of the entire Bible. As my husband said the other night when I asked him what he thought it meant, uh, it sounds like we're probably all going to hell. And I think that sums up most responses I've been given when I've asked people about this passage. Most people think it probably means something very bad for most people, themselves included. Which is strange because no one ever actually seems to know what Jesus means exactly when he says to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. But still, most of us seem to feel that it's a crime we've probably committed at some point. And the idea that we can never be forgiven for it is terrifying and a little unfair. Um, and a lot confusing, or at least it seems that way. The, uh, the idea that for all of eternity we're going to be doomed to whatever the exclusion from God's kingdom feels like. Something that we're not actually 100% sure about what it is, uh, we probably possibly didn't even realise we were doing when we were doing it, and that we may have committed before we became Christians. That doesn't seem right, um, and it doesn't seem to be very Jesus doesn't seem to fit with the kinds of people that he offers forgiveness and salvation to. To the prostitutes and thieves and corrupt officials and murderous Romans and basically anybody um, who is willing to turn from their sin and trust him. And surely, surely St Paul, back when he was Saul and uh, spent most of his time hunting and killing Christians, surely he was blaspheming against the Holy Spirit all of those Christians that he was going about murdering and torturing were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were doing the work of God through it. They were charged with the Holy Spirit. There's got to be something here that we're missing. And yet I've never read a truly satisfactory answer to it, to what Jesus actually means when he says these terrifying words that those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit can never be forgiven. And how that can be reconciled with his promise that all who turn to him will be forgiven to his dying appeal to the Father to forgive those who know not what they do, and to his appointing of the most anti-Holy Spirit guy of the first century to be uh, the pioneer of the global church, who himself goes on to tell us that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And some people have said that if you're worried by Jesus' statement here, then that's enough. That means that you fear God and you recognise the Holy Spirit, and so this warning doesn't apply to you. And other people have said that Jesus' words here apply to the religious leaders and the teachers. Uh, people who he says elsewhere will be held to a higher account. And so for most of us, it doesn't apply. And there's basically lots of ideas out there as to how this statement might not apply to us. But none of them uh, seem to quite explain why Jesus said such a scary, specific and matter-of-fact thing that at least seemed to apply to everybody. I sincerely doubt that if the greatest minds of Christianity have not riddled this out yet, that I'm going to manage it today. Uh, but I do think that that might be okay. Um, I think that perhaps we do need to make peace with the mystery 
with the conundrum of Mark 3 verses 28 to 30. I think if we can do that, uh, we can learn a deeper Christian lesson than we could by combing through the Bible and panicking over exactly what transgression we may or may not have committed. Which is something that Jesus is always telling us to do anyway, to stop obsessing over religious law and missing the bigger, simpler and better truth. Which is this. God is good. In every possible way and sense and application of the word, God is good. The only way that anything good exists is through God. He is the source and the bringer of all goodness. Everything that he does is goodness. And that means that his law and his justice and even his condemnation is good. It's right. It's without flaw. It brings only goodness into being. Where God's law reigns, that's paradise. That is the place where no unhappiness can be. Where every tear is dried from our face and every wrong is put right. Then what can we, or anybody who wants goodness to rule, who wants evil to end, what can we have to fear from God's law being fulfilled, from his justice being done? Something that we're not very good at in our culture, I don't think. Trusting blindly, to trust in a morality that we might not personally understand. To trust that there are bigger and better forces at work than ourselves. And that it's okay if we don't understand them. I think that's the truly scary thing about this passage. Is the amount of trust that it requires of us. To know that God is right in every circumstance and every way. and That following him cannot lead us down a bad path to trust even though we don't always understand, to trust even though it may mean that we're wrong and have to change, and to trust even though it will mean at some point that we have to die to ourselves and live in him instead. I think that's the bigger thing that Jesus is saying here. I think that all we can do with it is turn to him and say, I repent, I know that you're right, and I want to follow you wherever it may lead because you are good. So let's take that with us into the week, that knowledge that God is good, that he will not lead us astray, and that following him can only bring about goodness. Let's leave our fears at the door. Amen.